Luke 13, I'll be starting in verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if, it not, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Jesus appears in many different pictures throughout the Bible. It's interesting when you go and you do a study, especially in the Old Testament, about the ways that Jesus reveals himself, because you're going to find him in a number of different places in a number of different ways. You remember that for some, Jesus is pictured as a shepherd. I believe Psalm 23 is definitely referencing God, but when you look at the underlying message that Jesus is a shepherd in passages like 1 Peter chapter 5, we see that he is the chief shepherd, and we know that that's his identity. That's how he identifies himself. We know that Jesus, to some, is a great deliverer. He is the captain of the armies of the Lord as he revealed himself in Joshua chapter 5, the angels of the armies of the Lord there. We know that in a number of passages, Jesus likens himself to many different things. What I want us to focus on this evening from Luke chapter 13 this evening, just for a few moments, is Jesus as a gardener. Jesus as a gardener. Because when you understand the meaning of the parable and how he pictures himself, you're going to find that that is a perfectly relevant explanation for who he is and the type of work that he came to do here on this earth. It occurs to me that as you look through the pages of scripture, the Lord loves a garden. You ever think about God's love for a garden? When God created the world in six literal days and uh, rested on the seventh day, you remember that after he created man, he breathed into nostrils his breath of life, he formed in the dust of the ground. And where did God place the very first man? He placed him in the garden of Eden so that man could be there to tend the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, when mankind sinned, you remember where they found God. They found him walking in the garden in the cool of the day whenever they had to confront their sins. When Jesus told the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he said, truly I say to you that this day you will be with me in paradise. The Greek word for that, paradiso, has to do with a great walled garden. Can you think of the most peaceful place that you can possibly be? And instead of maybe the mountains or the ocean or anywhere else that, that we might think of as peaceful places, the Lord chooses to use the image of a garden in that instance. When you look at Revelation 20 and 20, uh, 21 22, you see that a lot of the picture of heaven seems to be very garden-esque. The Lord loves a garden. Many of his illustrations had to do with horticulture and things like, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches, John chapter 15, and, and how the Lord loves and thinks about a garden because he used those in his illustration. In fact, in his resurrection, you remember that Mary was standing there at the tomb, Mary Magdalene, and she mistook Jesus thinking him to be the gardener. I don't know what Jesus was doing on that occasion because the Bible doesn't say, but she mistook him for somebody that was taking care of the garden. 
What we learn here in Luke chapter 13 from the parable of this fig tree and the parable of the man who wanted to tear it down or wanted to cut it down and the other man who made intercession for this, for this tree and said, no, 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 let's leave it for one more year. Let me try and take care of it. If it bears fruit, great. It is that Jesus is the one who makes that intercession. Jesus is the one who wants to help and foster the growth of that tree. Because a lot of times in our Christian life, we can get to the point where we feel like we can just coast on whatever growth that we've already had. And we feel like that we can just um, move along and, and, and not have to think about our growth and not have to think about our maturity and not have to think anymore about, about the ways that the Lord wants us to develop and the ways that he wants us to flourish, the ways he wants us to bear fruit. Because that's really what this parable is all about. A certain man comes to this fig tree looking for fruit. And he's saying, because I don't find any fruit, I want to cut it down. And the gardener's saying, no, 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 let's leave it one more year. I'm going to let me dig around it, let me fertilize it, and then if it bears fruit, great. But if not, if it doesn't bear fruit, then cut it down. The Lord doesn't want us to get to a point where we feel like we don't need to grow anymore, that we don't need to bear fruit anymore. Just from the context of Luke chapter 13, just for a moment, I want you to notice some spiritual signs that we're not growing and we're not healthy as the Lord's handiwork the way that we ought to be. Consider these things, and we'll just use some gardening terms because that's where we're aimed. Number one, we're not growing the way that we ought to when we're not sowing with urgency. When we're not sowing with urgency. I know it says sown, it should be sowing. When we're not sowing with urgency. Look back in Luke chapter 12. And he's talking to the multitudes, and they're following Jesus wherever he's going. And they're interested to see him perform some miracle and maybe, uh, maybe feed them something, as they did in John chapter 6. And they're following him, and Jesus says, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately say, a shower's coming. We had some of those this past weekend, didn't we? And he says, when you see the south wind blow, you say, there's going to be hot weather, and there is. It's coming. Don't worry. It's on its way. South Houston, here we are. And he says, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but you don't discern the time. And then he goes on to talk about a man who knows he's on the way to the judge. And he's there with his adversary and he knows his adversary's got a case against him. And he says, why don't on the way to the judge you make peace with your adversary? You understand the urgency. You don't want to be caught up on these charges and you don't want to have to go into a debtor's prison. Why don't you make the necessary changes? Speaking of those Jews of that day, they hadn't sown with urgency. God might well ask of each one of us, what have you done with your Christian life that showed your urgency for living the cause of Christ? What have you done with your life and with the lives of the people that you have influence over that has shown your urgency for their souls and caring for them and realizing that in any moment, any moment, the Lord could return you could be taken from this earth. They could be taken from this earth. What have you done with your urgency? That's a sign that we haven't grown the way that we ought to is because we haven't sown with urgency. Number two, signs we're not healthy or growing like we ought to. We've grown in doubts and our questions. We've grown in doubts and questions. Look at the way Luke chapter 13 starts. There were some present at that season who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And the implied question is, Jesus, are these worse sinners than these other people? 
Can you imagine somebody looking at somebody that's, that's gone, undergone tragedy and said, I don't understand how a God like, a, like the one you worship can cause something like that or allow something like that to happen. And you let those doubts and those fears begin to fester. And they overgrow your mind and your heart. And you're not dealing with them in a healthy way. Please understand, God is bigger than our doubts and we can absolutely bring our doubts to him but if we just let those things continually grow and fester in our minds and our hearts, they're going to poison us and cause us to not be able to grow the way God wants us to. Notice this. We're not growing the way that we ought to if we were people who have cultivated a critical spirit. Critical spirit. You know, some people that just want to try and find whatever's wrong with any given situation. People that want to just come to church Come and be among the assembly and then leave out the door. Oh, let me tell you something. I can't believe those elders have done anything about this. I can't believe that preacher. I can't believe he's doing this. And where they're skilled, so skilled at pointing out all the things that are going wrong and all the bad things that they see and all the things that can possibly be changed. Look at the occasion. Jesus there in the synagogue on the Sabbath there's a woman, verses 10 through 17, who has been bent over for 18 years. And I know it wasn't just the ruler of synagogue that was with a critical eye on this occasion because it says that down in verse 17, all of his adversaries, there were more than one there that were just looking for Jesus to do something wrong. That was their key. That was their uh, bread and butter was to look and say, he's done something wrong on the Sabbath, see? There were several uh, examples that Luke has just given that, that says he they were just looking for him to do something wrong. Standing over his shoulder, as it were, to try and accuse him of something. When we get people and become people that are just critical about everything, and critical unnecessarily, and sometimes critically necessarily, we're not going to be growing the way God wants us to. We're going to be stunting our growth, and we're going to become like this fig tree that's not bearing fruit. Look at this one. Same instance, same illustration. We're people whose compassion and love is not what it ought to be. Compassion and love is not what it ought to be. It's withering. Instead of somebody looking at this woman who was bent over for 18 years as somebody who was in dire need, in need of compassion, in need of mercy, in need of somebody's love to show her that she was valuable, Instead, all they could do was use her as a prop to accuse Jesus. To just want to say, well, well, Jesus, you shouldn't have done this miracle on the Sabbath. There were six other days that you could have done this. And Jesus points and says, she's a daughter of Abraham. She's had this infirmity for 18 years. Think of it, 18 years. And he says, you know how to have love and concern and compassion on an animal. You know how to unloose your, your ox on the, uh, on the Sabbath or your donkey from the stall. He knows, you know how you take care of that. Why shouldn't I have done this for this woman? Our culture, our world leads us to being people who are lacking in compassion and love for our fellow man. Instead, because we get into a consumer mindset, instead we, because we feel like everything appeals to us, that we have the right to be critical of everything, but we also have the right to just look at people as tools to get what I want. We're never going to grow the way God wants us to. We're never going to flourish as God's horticulture, God's plant. We need the loving touch of a gardener to come into our lives and to change us. 
and to make us what he wants us to be. Understand three points about this particular aspect of Jesus and his work in our lives and how we need to let him work in our lives from this parable this evening. Number one, understand that there is an expectation that we are to be people who produce fruit. There's an expectation for you and for me that I am a fruit producer. Look at how he begins there in verses 6 and 7. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit. He's looking. I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? There's something interesting. When you and I are not bearing fruit the way we ought to, when we're not growing the way God wants us to, are we just using up the ground? Are we just people that are, I hate to say it, wasted space? Because God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. God has made something of you and made something of me that we couldn't make of ourselves. God has given something to you and giving something to me that we couldn't give ourselves. And bestowing that upon us, he expects us to grow and he expects us to to change our lives, to, to mold it more into the shape of what he wants us to be. And God is coming and he's looking at your life and my life and trying to see if we are fruit producers. What we need is a good diagnostic. Diagnostic. My wife and I have had trouble over the last couple of months with cars and low, uh, low tire pressure lights. In fact, she told me that uh, the one in the van came on the other day just after we had put on brand new tires. You know, the low pressure light on the, t- on the, on the car uh, dashboard, that's a diagnostic. It's not a very good one because a whole lot of people don't realize what that, what that little symbol means. What does it look like? It looks like a little balloon or marshmallow or something. Hey, it's time for marshmallows. Anyway, you look and you see that the diagnostic light comes on. That's not a very precise diagnostic. However, if I go out to each one of the tires and I take my little tire pressure gauge and I put it on there, and I say, okay, this one's got 33 pounds. I put it on that one, 33 pounds, 33 pounds, 26 pounds. Then I've got a better diagnostic to be able to help and to say, which one is it? Which one is it that needs the attention? You realize that there are a number of lists and catalogs in Scripture that are good diagnostic tools for us in living the Christian life? Let me give you two of them just this evening in the brief time that we have. Turn in your Bible, please. Hold your finger here and turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5 just for a moment. One of the best diagnostic tools is to go and to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Beginning in verse 16, Paul is saying, as he's wrapping up the, Ephesians, or the, uh, the, the Galatian letter, he says, I'm telling you now, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are against, they're contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by a Spirit, you're not under the law. Notice this diagnostic that he gives. I'll tell you how I approached this whenever I was younger is I would look at each one of these things and say, check mark, no check mark, check mark, no check mark. Okay, I'm not guilty of this, not guilty of this, not, well, I may be guilty of that, but I'm not guilty of this, not guilty of this, not guilty of this, so I must be doing okay. That's not what it's about. That's about what your life is producing. 
the end result of the way of thinking that's caused you to be the person that you are today. He says there in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. They're clearly seen. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envying, murder, drunkenness, revelry. And Paul says, if I've left anything off the list and the like, you know what you do with every behavior and everything that comes out of your life? You say, does it fit squarely over here with the works of the flesh? Does this seem like it accords more with what, what the world values and walking after something that God says you're dead to? Or is it something, as he says there in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit, what's produced by you following after faithfully the Spirit of God, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified his flesh with his passions. If we live in the spirit, and the implication is that you do, that you're following after the things that are spiritual, that you're trying to be a person who's modeling your life after Jesus, he says, let's also walk in the spirit. Let's live like we're committed to living. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What's the point there, Paul? The point is your life is producing one of two things. It's either producing the works of the flesh, those are evident, but it's also either going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's a great diagnostic tool. What does your life look like? Does it look more like list A or does it look more like list B? But the question is, God is looking for fruit in your life. What's he see? Does he see barrenness to what's supposed to be produced in there? Let me give you one more diagnostic tool. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Again, I guarantee we're coming back to Luke 13, but let's look at this just for a moment. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What do your works look like? Are they something that's done in wisdom? Or are you somebody who, like we talked about the last couple of weeks, about flying off the handle, somebody that is prideful, somebody that's arrogant? And as he goes on in this context, he says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't come from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. Note this diagnostic in verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You're going to find that self-seeking and envy, those things are going to accompany and have certain bedfellows, certain things that they run with. He says every evil thing is there. When I go home, the way that I talk to my wife or the way that I talk to my husband, the way that my kids refer to me or my wife, the way that our family dynamic is, it's a place where there's war and fighting, where there's bitter words and hateful speech and things like that. What does the fruit look like? Notice verse 17, here's the contrast. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, then reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the, what's the word? Fruit of righteousness. You could also substitute fruit of the Spirit is sown in peace by those who make peace. If I find my, er, my world and my, uh, my sphere of influence is all about fighting and complaining and griping and that just seems like it's one war after another. 
The question has to be asked diagnostically, am I following after the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Am I a person who's operating in the meekness of wisdom or am I being a person who is following what's sensual, what's earthly, what's demonic? We need diagnostic tools, but we need to look at our lives and say, am I bearing what God wants me to bear? Because there is an expectation. Number two, there is patience. Verses eight and nine, there is patience. But he answered, this is the gardener. He answered and said to him, the certain man, the landowner, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and I fertilize it. If it bears fruit, well, this is a comforting passage to me. But it tells me that Jesus is working on my behalf. In all the areas of my life where I'm not bearing fruit the way that I ought to, and I'm not thinking the way that I ought to, I've got Jesus working on my behalf. That tells me that I'm not alone in this. That Jesus wants me to succeed and he wants you to succeed in bearing fruit. Well, the question rightfully might be asked, what has he done? What does the gardener do for us with this patience? Number one, I believe just the patience in him giving us time is something that we don't need to take for granted. Give it a year, he says. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God says, you name the name of Christ, there's an expectation there that you depart from iniquity, but I appreciate the fact that he commands this to Timothy, who is in turn speaking this message to Christians. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The verse that Kyle used last night and uh, this morning, I believe, of talking about a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day with the Lord. In reference to that, it's talking about the patience and long-suffering of God, not wanting us to perish, not wanting us to be cut down but the expectation that he needs, that we have time to change our lives. God gives us grace and gives us mercy, space to grow. I'm going to dig around this, the gardener says. Sometimes when we've grown the wrong thing, we've grown in the wrong way, or we haven't grown well, the patience and mercy of God to say, don't cut it down, give it more time. Give it more. T- I have faith. I believe that this thing is going to produce exactly what it needs to produce. Just by way of illustration, he's given us ability to do this. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's interesting about this is the word that Jesus uses and says, I'm going to dig around this and I'm going to fertilize it. Literally, he's going to throw dung around it. I don't know how many of you have big cans of fertilizer that just sit in your living room as air fresheners. Not often, no, right? I know that we like to keep it very close to the house so that just as soon as we open the back door, oh, we can smell that fertilizer coming. It occurs to me, and I don't want to stretch this beyond what it's intended to do, but it occurs to me that there's no right-thinking person that would want to treat their fertilizer like that. And I kind of wonder, as far as horticulture goes, maybe those of you who are more educated can, can instruct me about it, but I wonder who first thought, what happens if I take this cow pie out of this pasture and use it around my tree? I see that it creates very, very green grass, so I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it around this. It occurs to me, 
brothers and sisters, that we are in prime position for real growth and for bearing fruit in situations that stink in our lives. Things that we would never choose for ourselves and would never willingly live with. It's God who takes those things and those stinky situations and those stinky substances and provides the raw materials and the raw nourishment for us to really make strides in our growth. Don't take my word for it. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. That's a fruit of you following after what you're supposed to be following after. That's an evidence that you are following faithfully after the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. That's an evidence that you are growing the way that you ought to. But if I'm going to be a person like what we talked about earlier that's just going to find the critical and find the bad and just be, uh, be lacking in that love and compassion, all those things we talked about, then I'm never going to use those situations to produce. Man, this stinks. Man, this situation is nothing of what I would have ever chosen for myself. When that may be the greatest time for us to think, he's working on me. He wants me to grow like a Christian. So God may not take us out of those bad situations like we want. Because those things may be the thing that are very fostering our growth. He's given us ability. He makes intercession for us. If I understand this parable right, if there was no gardener to stand in the way of this man in this fig tree, he's come, he's looked for fruit, he hadn't found it. He's come year after year after year. I am so tired of coming out. This tree is a waste of space. It's not producing what it ought to. Cut it down. I'm ready. Let me put something in there that's actually going to do the work. And it's going to produce what I want it to produce. It's the gardener who comes and says, one more year, let me work with this. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. Let me take good care of this tree. I know it can produce Hebrews 7 verse 25 says he always lives to make intercession for you and for me. In the times in my life where I failed and I failed and I failed, I wonder if God is saying, cut him down. But I know Jesus sitting there at the right hand of God like he has been for the last 2,000 years saying, no, let's give him time. Let's give him grace and mercy. Let's give him the raw ingredients so that he can grow the way he ought to. Because I know he can do it. I appreciate somebody like that. But brothers and sisters, that's the job that Jesus has had for the last 2,000 years. Is making intercession for us and letting the Father know. He's mine. I'm taking care of him. There's accountability, lastly this evening. There's accountability. If it bears fruit well, verse 9. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. It is not beyond the owner of the vineyard to cut the tree down. There is a time coming when the gardener will cease to work. There's a time coming where the tree's health will have to speak for itself. What has your life produced? What have you produced? What's the product? How is it seen? A couple of diagnostic things to consider. 
an attitude that looks more like what we talked about, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that look like me? Does that look like you? It's a great question to ask. Am I producing what God wants me to produce? Jesus wants us to succeed. A family dynamic full of love and submission. Why is it in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and talking about the qualifications of elders, it has so much to do about the man and about his family, about the way that he treats his children and treats his wife, and about how his children are there with reverence and all submission. Because if we're following after the Spirit, that's really the way that our family is going to look and that's the way that our children are going to behave because we've led our family faithfully. But if we find that angry words and fighting and hateful things and uh, things that are going on is a great opportunity for us to refocus and say, brother and sister, the, the family, this is not the way that it ought to be. A maturity that shows that you've grown up. A maturity that shows that you've grown up. Paul would tell us that all those apostles and prophets and teachers were given so that we could grow in the faith, so that we could come to a maturity, so we would no longer be Children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into the head, which is Christ. There's some people that have never grown up. Some people that are childishly playing with and doing the things that are continually displeasing to God and that are keeping them from growing the way that God wants them to. God says grow up. God says mature. God says produce what you're supposed to be producing. A root system is nourished by God's word. I meant to do Psalm 1 this evening with the kids so we'd have that fresh in our mind. His delight, the man who's blessed by God, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 verse 2. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in a season. There's a relationship between me and and my life, and how much time I spend in the Word of God, and how much fruit I'm producing, how capable I am to producing fruit, and how steadfast and how immovable my life is, planted like that tree beside the rivers of water. God doesn't want us to be floating around with every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4, uh, Psalm 1, God wants us to be firmly planted with a firm, a good root system. God wants us to sh have His work show that he's been working on us. I quoted from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Are you about good works? Is that what your life shows on a regular basis, that the things you do, you do to try and enhance the lives of other people around you for the glory of God? That you're a person that's given fully to every good work 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, that you've looked into the Word of God and said, these are the things God wants me to do. That's what I'm going to be about. We're going to show something. We're going to bear something. We're going to bear fruit to God's glory. One man used this illustration, and I'll close with this. If I take that tree, it's a fig tree, and it's not producing fruit, what a person could do is just exactly what Jesus said. You can dig around it and make a nice trench to where you can catch the water and where the root system on the outside can grab that water and to use it and make it something fruitful. 
Maybe you can take that, uh, that, that fertilizer and, and, and put it all around it so it goes down in uh, the, the root system, goes down in the ground in the soil and causes that ground to be fertilizer rich with all the kinds of different elements that it needs to be able to grow. You can do that to a tree. And you can know pretty quickly if that tree or that grass or whatever that plant is has taken that. Consider the fact that there are some who are fence posts. That if I take that same idea and say, here's a fence post planted in the ground. I'm going to dig around it, make a little trench for the water. I'm going to take the fertilizer and put the fertilizer around it. You know what you're going to have after a year or two years or five years or ten years? You're still going to have a fence post. The question God is asking us here in this instance, in this evening, what are you? Are you a tree? Are you a fence post? God knows he has created us in Christ Jesus to be people who are growing and flourishing every day. And if you're not, we long to help you. We long to encourage you. Our Savior is on your side. Our Savior is making intercession for you. But don't just stop growing. Don't just stop trying. Don't just keep coasting. Grow the way that you're supposed to. If you got a problem with gossip, consider that this week. And say, I'm not going to speak any ill words of somebody, but when I get tempted to do that, I'm going to go to God's word. I'm going to find something encouraging that I can say to somebody else. You have a problem with lust, I'm going to turn those things off before it ever gets to that point where I'm looking at those things that are ungodly on my computer or or whatever it may be. And I'm going to spend time doing what God wants me to do. If you're in a rotten situation, a situation that stinks, why don't you find some godly help and godly wisdom? Why don't you find a friend to pray with you and pray for you, to encourage you through that difficult situation, to give you some advice to be able to handle it so that patience may be produced in your life. Whatever your need is, church, we're there for one another, and our Savior is there for us. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that needs to obey the gospel. We stand ready to assist you. We stand ready to receive you. The Lord stands ready to receive you as one of his own. Whatever your needs are, if you have any this evening, won't you make those known as we stand and sing our invitation song.